It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Who you got? Texas or Alabama? You taking Colorado and Coach Prime to keep the good thing going? You got Nebraska playing spoiler a little bit here on the road in Boulder. Also, Duke is a football school? There was nothing fluky about last night. There was a lot of things that were very much so Duke-ish, if you catch my drift. Welcome into the hard count. This is college football and only college football right here on this very show. It is Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. Man, we got a lot to get into today, man. The beautiful thing, the thing that I love so much about week one of the college football season, we go Thursday all the way through to Monday, and then week one kind of leads us right into week two. So like week one sort of happens, and then before we know it, we're already that much closer to Saturday. It's a beautiful thing. We're so glad to have you here. If it's your first time, welcome. It's college football and only college football. We love, respect, and appreciate every other show out there. However, this show has no additives, no high fructose corn syrup. It's just Saturday, the game that you love, the game that we love, and the game that we talk about here 365 days a year. Like I mentioned, we got a lot to jump into. We're about to make our prediction here in just a minute for Nebraska at Colorado. Coach Prime and Company shocked the world. Shocked the whole world with what they did in Fort Worth, Texas last Saturday. Shadour Sanders, I'm pretty sure he just threw another touchdown pass. Travis Hunter played like 500 snaps in Texas Heat program guy alert. Also, we got Texas A&M making the trip to Miami. What happens in that one? Because both teams kind of looking to sort of reinvent themselves, if you will. Mario Cristobal's got a whole new staff over there from a coordinator standpoint. Bobby Petrino, hey, it was just New Mexico, but so far so good for the Aggie offense. What's the latest there? Who are we picking in that game? Well, I'll tell you in just a second. Texas is going to Tuscaloosa. We've had this one circled. You've had this one circled really since clock struck triple zeros last year in Austin. Who we got in this one? I got a fun, uh, fun announcement, rather, when it comes to that game as well. So that'll be a good time. We got Oregon at Texas Tech as well. Got to talk about it because Oregon, they went like 80 plus points against Portland State last week. Texas Tech sort of stumbled out of the gates. But the Ducks got to go to Lubbock. Who are we taking in that one? A lot of single-digit spreads on the docket for this coming Saturday. Man, I cannot wait to jump into it. If you haven't yet subscribed to this channel, would encourage you to do so because we are all gas, no brakes here. That is not a Texas reference. That's just a matter of fact here as we keep this thing rolling. Before we get into predictions, though, I would be remiss if we did not talk about the stormy conditions that happened in Durham, North Carolina last night, and that was Duke handling business over Clemson. Final score was 28-7, to and there's a lot to make here about Clemson, so we will talk about that here in just a second. I want to make sure we give Duke their flowers, though, because last night was not Duke just kind of finding a way to figure it out at the end and get it done and, and shock the country with a last-second field goal. Like, Duke dominated. Yeah, Clemson had their fair share of mistakes, but Duke handled business. Like 28 to 7, that's a leave no doubt kind of score. That's a run it up, leave no doubt. Uh, remember the Titans special, if you will. There was nothing fluky about last night. Duke was the bully. Riley Leonard, if you didn't know about him before last night, 
The entire country knows about him now. The NFL draft circles love him. He was dynamic on the ground. He did a lot with his arm. It's hard to say anything negative about Duke. And right now, I think we got to look at Duke and say, okay, well, what are they in the ACC? And I don't want to overreact and overproject because it is just week one. But you win nine games a year ago under Mike Elko with Riley Leonard playing quarterback again for you this year. So there's some continuity there on the offensive side of the football. They looked tough on defense last night. Look at the rest of their schedule. There's, they got some games there with some juice. You got Notre Dame. I know it's not an ACC game, but still, like, that game got a whole lot more interesting September 30th. You go to Tallahassee in October, October 21st. That game has a lot more juice now based on what happened last night. We're not going to overproject, but when you beat the big dog in the conference, we're going to give you some shine. And Duke did just that. Uh, Duke did it just that last night. Now, the story everyone's talking about and deserves to be talked about and is a little bit concerning right now is what's going on in Clemson, South Carolina. And you're hearing a lot of this this morning. You're hearing a lot of, well, that's what Dabo gets not going to the portal. That's what Dabo, hey, the game caught up with him. He did not evolve and he has, you know, he's got to use the portal. That's why they lost last night. A, a sentiment within that I think is true. Not that they lost last night because they didn't use the portal. I don't think that's true. But there's an, an evolution that probably has to take place in Clemson, South Carolina with acquiring talent via the portal. That's my opinion. I don't think that's what you point to last night, though. Because Duke isn't a team that just went and ravaged the transfer portal and went crazy and overhauled their roster and somehow found a way to be an enormously better team because of what they did through the portal. Duke took seven transfers this past transfer portal cycle. Uh, three of those cats were from the FCS level. Two of them were from the Ivy League. Shout out to the Ivy League. Uh, three of those cats were from the Power 5 level. So I'm not saying they didn't make an impact, but are you saying that Duke wins the football game because they took seven transfers last night? I don't think so. The concern for me is Clemson and the way they have recruited. Now, let me finish here. I'm not saying they haven't recruited well. I'm saying the transfer portal and Andy Staples in his live reaction last night did a phenomenal job addressing this. The transfer portal is a tool for you to use that helps you correct recruiting mistakes. Like, it can be the remedy for whenever you look at your depth chart and say, hmm, this kid isn't what we thought he would be, or they fit differently than we thought they would. Let's go get a pass catcher. Let's go get a defensive lineman, like kind of fill in the blank for what your need is there. But for Clemson to say, we're not going to use the transfer portal, and then to lose to a team like Duke, a team they have consistently out-recruited year in and year out. My question isn't around the portal for Clemson. My question is around how they've built the roster. And I have more thoughts on Clemson, what they'll be the rest of the year in a second. Newsflash, I'm not selling my Clemson stock. But last night, I didn't see a team that was like out-personneled or out-talented. I saw a team in Clemson that was not dynamic. And that's kind of the way I feel about Clemson offensively. I think they'll eventually get back on the right track. Now, what that looks like, who knows? I think Garrett Rowley is there for a reason. But you could not help but feel just a little bit last night like, man, there's no receiver play here really that is going to give Duke fits. There's nobody here in crunch time that you're like, hey, give him a shot one-on-one. -on -one. There's no Keon Coleman type player. Now, that's not to say that Keon Coleman is just walking around in every other football program across the country. I understand he's, he's a one-of-one, -one, but the reality is you needed some more dynamic talent last night if you're Clemson, and you didn't have that. There is no way in the world Clemson should be losing to Duke based on how they've recruited. Clemson's got two or three top five classes since 2020, okay? Since 2019, at least. Like, they, they, they've been stocking the cupboard here for a while with talent. 
And the best metaphor I could use is they've got a lot of one kind of ingredient, especially in that skill position category. Like for me, I love, I love hamburgers. I love hamburgers. Do I want it for every single meal? No, it doesn't, it doesn't allow me to grow. It doesn't make me a healthy individual. I need to have some salads, need to have some, some fruits and vegetables in there. Like we need to have a mix here. So I'm saying Clemson has a lot of one thing. I don't see a lot of game-breaking speedy receivers in that room. And so the way they've built their roster here is what I think you look at if you're Clemson. I don't have a problem if you don't want to use the portal. If you don't want to use the portal, that's your prerogative because you recruit really well. But the way and, and the genre in which you recruit from a skill position standpoint, I think is what ended up being the deal last night. Now, there's a lot of execution errors. If they play that game 10 times, you know, what, what's the result? Again, I don't think last night was a fluke, but I think Clemson shot themselves in the foot a fair amount. So my real question for Clemson isn't that they haven't used the portal. It's how are we building this roster? Does that need to be reevaluated in terms of what we're doing in that playmaker category? So that's my thoughts there. Again, I would not sell my Clemson stock just yet. I think Garrett Riley has too strong of a resume to think they won't eventually get it together. They have too much talent to not still make some noise in the ACC. But last night does not inspire a ton of confidence, to say the least. So hats off to Duke for Clemson. Don't think you are you know, just completely underwater. Don't think that the ship is sunk just yet. But I do think that there needs to be uh, some reevaluation for the the brand and the genre in terms of how they're recruiting and building that roster. So there's that. Appreciate everybody, be, everybody uh, tuned in right now, everybody subscribed. I'm going to go ahead and tweet this out and let the good folks know we're about to preview Colorado and Nebraska. And for all y'all that follow me on the social channels, you've probably seen me making some picks because prize picks now, they have been phenomenal. They have brought the hard count to y'all today. And to give you a quick breakdown of what prize picks is, essentially it's daily fantasy. So the, the beautiful part about it is you can look at different player projections across a myriad of sports. We do it with college football here and pick more or less on their projection and then make a play pairing it with other player projections. And so the difference is you can do a flex play or you can do a power play. Flex play is you can miss one of three and you can go up to six entries. I like to stick right around that three area. Bottom line, you don't have to have every projection come to fruition to still make some money. Now, in a power play, if you hit all of those, if all of those come to fruition, if all those projections are on the money, then you make more money, which is kind of common sense there. The bottom line, though, uh, fast, easy to use, can put it in with under a minute in terms of you know making entries with it with prize picks. Um, safe, great uh, withdrawal within prize picks as well. And if you use promo code JD, they have a 100% deposit match up to $100. So go ahead and get that done, and we'll have some plays for us here this coming weekend. Quick recap of what happened this last weekend. It's a tough one for your boy. We had a flex play, put it in Saturday morning, felt great about it. We had Joe Milton, more than two and a half passing touchdowns. We had Dylan Gabriel, more than two and a half total touchdowns. We had Tanner Mordecai, more than two and a half total touchdowns. Felt great about all of them. Did a flex play, said, uh, if one doesn't go exactly how we thought, that's fine. Tanner Mordecai, Wisconsin, they take care of business against Buffalo. They're not throwing the ball quite as much as we thought. That's fine. Not worried about that. So two and a half, the more does not happen. All right, no problem. Dylan Gabriel does what he's supposed to do. Oh, uh, does more than two and a half 
touchdowns and, and we're in business there. So we look back at Joe Milton. Joe Milton has a shot deep to Ramel Keaton. And it is a dime piece, I'm telling y'all. Like, you all watched the game. You saw that thing just leave his hand wide open downfield, right in the bread basket. Couldn't connect. Couldn't connect. I'm not blaming anybody. Blame myself for not getting it done. But uh, Joe Milton finished with two touchdowns. So the more there did not happen. Nonetheless, make sure you get that promo code locked in. We ride again this weekend. Follow me on Twitter and on Instagram to keep up with the plays there. So thank you to Prize Picks for getting that rolling. All right, let's get into this now. We got Nebraska at Colorado. Fox, big noon kickoff this Saturday. We look at this game a little bit differently based on what happened this past weekend, don't we? And I'm not talking about Nebraska. Nebraska, I think, actually played Minnesota pretty tough. Heartbreaker by nature of it being a one-score loss and turning the ball over four times. We'll talk about Nebraska here in a second. But for Coach Prime and company, the question is, do you believe? That was what Deion Sanders was asking the entire media in Fort Worth. Do you believe now? Well, if you don't believe, I don't think that's unreasonable. It's a small sample size. But they put forth a pretty strong sample size, regardless of how small it is, against a ranked TCU team that played for a national title this past season. So we'll break this one down. Colorado is favored by three points. A lot to get into here. Nebraska's trying to hit the refresh button a little bit from that tough go on, on I believe it was a Thursday night. Yes, Thursday night. A lot of games. Got to keep them all straight. The rule era has started. If you want to get back on track, you go beat a team with this much hype and this much buzz around them. I'm in Boulder, Colorado with the eyes of the country upon you. That would be a good way to kind of get the mojo back, get the confidence going for a new staff, new team. That would be how you do it. Really quickly, though, make sure you're subscribed right here to the On3 YouTube channel. We talk college football every single day. We got game predictions. We got analysis. We got picks. We got everything that you know and love about this game right here every single day, live three times a week, is the hard count. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. We appreciate you in advance for locking in, for being subscribed, and being part of this program. All right, so... What are we watching for in this game? What are we watching for in this game? What's going to make the difference? And my thing is, how does Nebraska go about trying to defend Colorado now? Because remember, going into last week against TCU for Colorado, there was no tape on what they were going to do offensively. You brought in 80-plus new players through the portal. Nobody had seen this staff operate this offense. You're watching Kent State film if you're TCU trying to figure out what they're going to do. But now there's some tape on them. So is the book out on Colorado? I don't know if I'd go that far, but tempo and team speed is so tough to match up with. And my concern for Nebraska is against Minnesota, saw a lot of man coverage, a lot of man coverage. And I'm not saying that you can't play that and be successful. I'm saying when you do play that, there is a very high potential for some big plays to happen. We saw Travis Hunter, what he can do. We saw Jimmy Horn Jr. What he can do. And I don't love the idea of just saying our guy versus your guy. We like our guy better. I don't, I don't think you want to do that with Travis Hunter being the best player on the field, regardless of if he's on offense or on defense. So I think what you need to do, if you're Nebraska, is try and dial it up a little bit. Try and dial it up a bit. Understand that these matchups on the outside probably aren't in your favor. So what do you got to do? You got to get Shadur Sanders early and often. You got to make him uncomfortable. We got to get him off his launch point. 
And if we can do that and kind of speed up that shot clock for him, maybe, just maybe, we can try and negate the impact of what that wide receiver core brings to the table. So I'm curious, does Nebraska roll out their in-man coverage? The same thing they did last week. Now it was Minnesota. Minnesota and how they operate, very different offensively from how Colorado and they operate. But still, the tempo with, with Colorado and how quickly they go, it makes it difficult to be on your P's and Q's and to dial up a pressure from the sideline. Going fast, a lot of communication has to happen to Nebraska's defense as, as Colorado's getting rolling. Curious to see how that works out. Because you, you could tell that first drive, especially Colorado caught TCU slipping. And that was just kind of the way it went. They responded, scored over 40 points, consistently was just the driving factor in that game, very poised. Shaking up the poise for Nebraska is kind of the key to this whole thing. Now, my legit concern along with that is can Nebraska score points with Colorado? Because I don't think there's a situation where we walk in here on Sunday morning talking about this game and say, man, what happened to Colorado's offense? What happened? How come they just... They just disappeared. I don't think it's that kind of situation. I think Colorado's still going to score a lot of points. And for Nebraska, the burden then falls on Jeff Sims and company to be able to do two things. One, at least keep the ball out of Colorado's hands and try and utilize these new clock rules and take some time off the clock and just give them as few possessions as possible. That's one operation. The other is you can't give them more ammunition to go score points. Like the margin for error here for Nebraska is very, very slim. So... The question then becomes, can you run the football? Can you run the football if you're in Nebraska? Because that's what they want to do. And honestly, we saw them do that really well against Minnesota, a defense that was really good a season ago. We'll see what they are this coming season. We'll see what they are in 2023. But Nebraska ran for 181 yards. That is Matt Rule kind of football to a T. He loves lining up with a fullback. Nebraska fans love him lining up with the fullback. They love getting downhill and making you say uncle with their physicality. Now the question becomes for Colorado, can you stop the run? Because TCU is a good offense. I firmly believe that. Even though they lost the game, they scored over 40 points. Colorado allowed 262 rush yards. Is that the backbreaker in this game? I mean, is, is that the differentiating factor? Is Nebraska's able to just kind of control the tempo? It can't be if you're Colorado. That, that cannot be the case. So if this is a first to 50 kind of game, Colorado is, is absolutely winning this game. If it becomes a boxing match where it's the first person to throw a knockout, take Coach Prime and company every single time. Now, however, if it becomes a game of attrition, a game where it's like, hey, let's just get it to the fourth quarter, then Nebraska can kind of hang around, then they start to wear on you, then they hold the football, and then you get less possessions for Colorado. So to do that, though, like I was talking about a second ago, you cannot turn the football over. You cannot have four turnovers like you did last week. You have to play a very low margin for error style of game. So my question then going into this game, who handles the circumstances better from their previous week? There was so much talk about Colorado flying under the radar and being slept on and nobody believes. All of that is out the window now. All of that is out the window. Like I said, Colorado is favored by three. I believe this opened with Nebraska being around a touchdown favorite in the preseason. People believe in Colorado now. Big noon kickoff. And Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson are all there because of what Colorado has built to. Now, they were probably already going to this game, but you hear what I'm saying. There's going to be more eyeballs on this game, on that broadcast, because of what they did last week. They removed a lot of doubt. They took a lot of skeptics and made them not just believers, but fans of what they're doing. Now, Nebraska, 
what happened last weekend, last Thursday, I suppose, was the college football weekend for us. That stings. That stings. And it's very easy then to start going in the tank after you've had as many losses as a lot of those individuals in that locker room have had in the fashion they've had them. One score losses, one score rip your heart out of your chest kind of losses. Now, Matt Rule is new to that. I don't think that's a trend that Matt Rule has established as the guy at Nebraska. But you wonder where the locker room psyche is at after that one. And I think it's a little bit dangerous, to be honest with you, for Colorado, that Nebraska is is kind of in that wounded animal sort of mode, if you will, that they're kind of limping into this one. And it's, oh, Nebraska, you're going to turn the football over. They can't score many points on offense. Like, well, I guess we're just going to watch Colorado put up a highlight tape like, that number, it favors Colorado, but it's it's minus three for a reason. Colorado isn't getting like a, a touchdown here or, or more than that. Vegas still believes that this could be a somewhat close football game. Now, when it comes to this game, and I don't just mean this game in general. I mean college football as a whole. It's about the Jimmys and the Joes, right? Like we all understand that X's and O's. Very, very much so a, a key part of what college football is, but it is all about who you have when you line up out there on Saturday. And when I look at Colorado's roster, when I look at Travis Hunter, when I look at Shadour Sanders, that is a tough matchup for Nebraska. And like I talked about earlier in this preview segment, like when it, when, when it comes down to scoring points, I don't trust Nebraska based on what I saw last week. Now, I, I could see them scoring more points than last week, but their one touchdown they had was on a broken trick play. So if I'm looking at how far they have to climb, I think they got some work to do there. And I don't think going to Boulder, Colorado with the momentum that Colorado team has right now favors them. I think Travis Hunter has another big day. I think he de just devours man coverage should Nebraska choose to play that against him. And I think that you just pour rocket fuel on what, Co what Coach Prime has going right now. I like Colorado to win this game. I like them to cover. I like the final score to be 34-24. I think Nebraska is going to be good eventually under Matt Rule. But I think Colorado right now, and what they have from a personnel standpoint, Travis Hunter, there is nobody better than him on the football field when they line up this coming Saturday, like Colorado, to get it done at home in Boulder with big noon kickoff on hand. That'll be a lot of fun, man. That'll be a lot of fun to watch because we'll start out early morning. You got Texas Bama a little bit later. We got Texas Tech Oregon a little bit later. You got A&M at Miami right after that one in the 3.30 window. But the eyes of the country will be on what Coach Prime does for an encore. And I cannot wait to watch it. That'll be a whole lot of fun. Make sure you like the video if you're here live. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're here live. I want to make sure I, I make this very, very clear because we're sort of entering into the season. And we are very fortunate to be in a position where creative teams from across the country of different college football programs will clip something we say that they like and throw it into a hype video. Anytime that gets into the social media world, it's on Twitter, it's on Instagram. For those of you that are on threads, maybe it's on threads. I don't actually know if threads is still a thing. I want to make this very clear. That is like cool for us on this side of the operation. Like that, that's fun to see. But that is a win for all of us. And when I say us, I mean you watching this show right now, live, listening on podcast later. Like, that is an us thing. And I don't say that just to be humble. I mean, like, genuinely, they're not clipping anything from any of these shows if y'all aren't watching, if y'all aren't pushing this whole movement forward. So, really quickly, thank you for that. I think we were in, like, two or three this past weekend. Again, that's not a testament to us. 
testament to y'all, a program win. As Jim Harbaugh would say, uh, there's no offense or defense, there is a we fence. So thank you for allowing our we fence to keep this thing moving. Let's keep on rolling here now. Like I said, we got some predictions to make. Gonna predict Texas Bama here in just a second. Before we do that, though, we got to talk Texas A&M going to Coral Gables to play Miami. This line has been moving just a little bit in the last 24 hours. I saw it at four yesterday. It's now at four and a half, favoring Texas A&M. 3.30 Eastern, ABC. Two teams that are looking to sort of reinvent themselves. Two big brands when it comes to the college football landscape. And for Texas A&M, so much talk about the talent, the talent, the talent, the recruiting, the recruiting, the recruiting. Well, now you're in a position, I think, where some of that talent is further along to where you can expect more dividends. Last year was last year. You're looking to prove, no, 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 no. We still have the guys. We still have the coaching staff. We still have what we need here in College Station to go where we want to go. Now, the offense is what everybody's talking about. You scored 52 last week against New Mexico. That's great. This is your chance to do it against a more formidable opponent. Now, for Miami, this is kind of the same thing we're talking about with Texas A&M. Big opportunity for them to prove that they are a new operation. Last year was last year. We got two new coordinators in here. Shannon Dawson dialing up the offense. Scored 38 last week against the other Miami. Miami reestablished themselves as the true Miami. So, good work for the people in Coral Gables. And what I'm looking at in this game, for Miami at least, is if you want to prove you are a new team, you want to prove that this thing is going a different direction, well then, let's go beat a team that you lost to last year. Let's go right that wrong. You, you lost one in College Station, kicked three field goals, offense did not get in the end zone, defense actually played pretty well, allowed 17 points, A&M's kind of got their own issues, Lance Gidry now calling the defense for Miami. You hear what I'm saying. If you want to provide a mark for progress, well then you go ahead and win this football game and beat a team that you lost to last season. All right, so without further ado, let's get right into this thing, man. This is going to be the first real test for Texas A&M of their offensive prowess. And when I say offensive prowess, I mean more specifically, this is going to be a test of Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher's working relationship. That's great. You score 50 against New Mexico, but we all want to see what does it look like if there's a couple three and outs early against Miami? What does it look like if maybe things don't go exactly how they were supposed to go the first couple of drives? It is one thing to throw somebody the keys to your car and sit shotgun while you drive around the parking lot. Maybe you go drive through Chick-fil-A. Shout out Chick-fil-A. And that, that's, all, that's all well and good. That's just a casual trip. Not really high stakes. It's another thing to throw someone the keys and say, all right, let's go on the highway. Let's go, let's go on the main roads and through a couple stoplights, through a couple intersections. Then you, then you really got to trust somebody, right? So Bobby Petrino now will be, uh, I would imagine, having both hands on the wheel. But if he doesn't, if Jimbo Fisher starts reaching over and grabbing the wheel and, and we see that Texas A&M offense just kind of look a little bit like it did last year, I think we'll be able to tell pretty quickly in this game how much Jimbo Fisher is allowing Bobby Petrino to run this whole operation. So for Miami, though, the other side of things for them is they are battling to have balance. So much made about Shannon Dawson coming from the air raid tree. Like, I think they want to run the football. Yes, maybe they want to run to throw the football, but even so, you have to be able to be two-dimensional against this Texas A&M defense. They bring back 77% of the production from a season ago that only allowed 21 points a game. 
as much as was said about the AM offense, the defense, I think last year was pretty solid and a lot of key pieces back. So when you look at this game, when you look at this, this way this whole thing could shake out for Miami, it is imperative that they are able to be two-dimensional. And on top of them being two-dimensional, they need to be able to have somebody that can separate at the wide receiver position to open things up a little bit. Because last year, we talked about it at the top of this segment, they scored zero touchdowns in College Station. They were three for five, I believe, when it came to field goals. That's not going to cut it. You know it. I know it. Tyler Van Dyke knows it. He looked really good that first game against Miami of Ohio, I believe. But even so, man, like they have to be multiple if they want to have a, a chance in this game. And being multiple, going back to that wide receiver position, is Colby Young the guy that separates for you? Because last year we saw a lot of drops. We saw them look just sort of out, you know, out of sorts and not really with it. Like th This is the kind of game where for Miami you need to have some skilled players really separate. I like what they have in the backfield. I like what they have on the offensive line. They're really going to get tested, though, against this Texas A&M defense. So that's crucial for them to be multiple and get a couple yards of carry early to open things up and be able to dial it up a little bit more like I think Shannon Dawson ultimately wants to do. But this Texas A&M defense is by no means going to be an easy task to operate against. Now, the, the real matchup in this game for me that could end up being like the deciding factor, especially late, is Bobby Petrino's offense, his power spread kind of scheme, Connor Wegman running the show, Evan Stewart on the outside. Bobby Petrino wants to mess with the safeties of Miami. Bobby Petrino wants to match with every safety. He wants to kind of toy with any safety he can, he can find out there, but especially Miami in this game, because Miami's got two really good ones. You got Cam Kitchens, you got James Williams. And those of y'all that have watched Miami play a ball, man, you know they, they will run up and thump. They, they will come up and play and run support. And they are going to need to do that against this power spread kind of approach. They want to get downhill early. And so what I think you're going to see is A&M be very patient in their game plan. I think you're going to see a lot of Amari Daniels, a lot of downhill early. You'll see some quick game. But I'm curious to see late in the game, if it is close, and A&M's trying to find a way either to score to put it away or score to go up or whatever it ends up being, do you see those safeties start to trigger a little bit quickly and start to read the offensive line and, and trigger downhill on that power you know, look, if you will? And then, oh no, here's the play action from Wegman. Cam Kitchens can't get back quick enough. Evan Stewart's deep. Touchdown, Texas A&M. Is that the reality? Or do we see the front seven of this Miami defense do enough to where those safeties don't have to come up and play run support as urgently? That's the battle. So early on, keep an eye on the, the yards per carry for Texas A&M. If they can make it manageable enough to where you don't add in James Williams, you don't add in Cam Kitchens, and you'll be in good shape. So I think this is actually going to be a very close game. I think this will be a gritty game. I think both offenses will look great at times. I think they're going to struggle at times as well. Like I don't think you leave this game saying, yep, problem solved, week two offense. We're ready to roll now the rest of the season. Like You probably still have some things to clean up because it is week two. It is new coordinators. But the quarterback play, I think, will be a lot of fun to watch. Connor Wegman, tons of ability. Tyler Van Dyke, you know what you're getting with him. I think he's going to be a version of himself we saw in 2021. But when the dust settles on this one, I think Texas A&M makes enough plays late offensively. I think Bobby Petrino does dial it up and hits a big one deep to, to ultimately have the go-ahead score. 
And I think Texas A&M wins this football game 24 to 20. So if that line stays at four and a half or even four, I want to touch it from Texas A&M. But I think they end up winning the football game. And this is a, a nice feather in the cap for, for A&M to go on the road, beat a power five opponent, win a game that you won last year and kind of keep a good thing rolling. So A&M wins this football game for us, but I can't wait to watch it, man. Cannot wait to watch it because I'm telling you, there's going to be there's going to be some, some implications for both sides after that one. The narrative for both sides of that operation are going to be fascinating after we finish that game. Because if AM loses, you'll say, oh, there's the offense not holding up their end of the bargain. Is Jimbo's seat getting hotter? And then if AM wins and Miami loses, you'll say, man, what is Mario Cristobal doing? How long is it going to take down there? I thought there was supposed to be a, a more physical approach up front. I thought that defense was going to be a little bit more see ball, get ball. Like, what's, what's going on in Coral Gables? We'll keep an eye on that. We will, but let's not overreact too, too much when it comes to week two of the college football season. But the game of week two, and I want to make sure we get this announcement out here first, Texas at Alabama, 7 Eastern on ESPN College. Game day is going to be there. It'll be a county fair, a zoo, a circus, whatever kind of event you want to put to it. Very excited to let y'all know we will actually be at this game. So the hard count, I told y'all back in the spring, I believe it was, we're going to be on the road this coming season. This is the first game we're going to. Went to Michigan last year, or I guess went to Michigan, Ohio State in Columbus last year. Went to the national title game. Those were phenomenal. Cannot wait to see y'all in Tuscaloosa. Have a lot of y'all that watch the show that are Alabama fans. A lot of y'all that watch the show that are Texas fans. So fired up to be with y'all and among y'all there at this game. This is going to be a movie. We've talked about this game really since triple zeros hit the clock in Austin last year. No shortage of storylines, man. For Alabama, the feeling is like, hey, man, they wrote us off. They wrote us off, but we did not write back. <laughs> that's kind of how they feel, right? I mean, that's, that's the feeling in Tuscaloosa is, yes, there's all this talk around Nick Saban, around the quarterback room and the unproven production. Like, they're, they're fine with that. They're fine with that. We're just going to go out there and play football. We'll see what happens on Saturday night. That's how they feel. This would be a statement for them to sort of let everybody know like, hey, yeah, we heard all the talking. We heard what y'all think we weren't going to do. Look at us now. And I don't want to make it sound like there's just nobody believing in Alabama because you looked at college game day in week zero and have the whole desk picking Alabama to win the national title. But there is still a fair amount of doubt surrounding this Crimson Tide football team. And this would be a great opportunity for them to kind of remove that a little bit. Now for Texas... The entire time Steve Sarkeesian has been the head coach at Texas has led to a day like this, has led to a game like this. Year one, you went through the growing pains. Miss a bowl game. All the talk around Texas and the culture. It's like a mass exodus through the portal. Year two, you win eight football games. Hey, that's a step in the right direction. Still not up to our standard here. This is the year now. With all the weapons on the outside, with Quinn Ewers back for another go around, with the continuity you have on this football team, this is the year where you really make some noise. Want to make some noise? Want to make a statement? You go beat the greatest of all time at their house. That would be a statement. So I can't wait to be there for this game. I can't wait to break this one down. Really quickly, though, make sure you're subscribed right here to the On3 YouTube channel. College football every single day. The hard count is live. One, two, three times a week. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Would love to have y'all here. It's college football and nothing else. That's what we're about here. So thank you for being locked in with us. We appreciate y'all in advance. All right, let's get to it, man. Uh, was last year's Texas Edge 
Is that still available in this game? Because we watched this game last year, and we saw Xavier Worthy do whatever he wanted with Quinn Ewers in that first half. Quinn Ewers is looking like everything that we expected him to be when he was a recruit coming out of high school. Now, he left a year early, so it is what it is, but he has so much talent, and there was so much poise in that game, in that spot, but you were in Austin. You go, on Tuscal- you go down to Tuscaloosa, like, what does that look like? Because Texas winning this game likely revolves around that same thought process that we had in the first quarter of that game, and was, hey, those receivers for Texas, they, they, they can't be stopped. Xavier Worthy is having a day. Jatavian Sanders is drawing a pass interference penalty all the time. I understand he's a tight end, but you heard what I'm saying. Now, Adonai Mitchell, new piece to the operation. Isaiah Nayor wasn't healthy in this game last year. What does the receiving core look like? Is the receiving core the edge against this Alabama secondary? Because if it is, then we get to finish last year's game. Then we kind of rewind the tape. Now, no no Bryce Young for for Alabama, I understand that. But we get to kind of pick it up. And and there was so much thought last year of, well, if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt in that game, then Texas fill in the blank. A lot of people in Austin would say, then Texas wins that football game. If this edge is still there for Texas, if the wide receiver room is still going to do what they did in the first quarter of last year's game, Things get very interesting in a hurry. Now, I also think that Alabama has heard all of this talk around the secondary and around the receiving core for Texas, and they've had this one circled for a little bit. So if there's a game this secondary is going to get up for, expect it to be this one. But let's go ahead and say this. Let's say that that's not the edge. Let's say that Texas doesn't have the aerial attack that they had in the first quarter of that game, and Texas and and Alabama kind of a stalemate there. Well, then I think we actually learn a little bit more about both football teams. The reason why I say that is Texas, if they want to go be a college football playoff team, if they want to make some real noise on the national title race kind of deal, like you have to be able to win without your fastball. Make no mistake, their fastball is that vertical game. Forget the rice game for a second. Look at who they have on that step chart. Look at who's playing quarterback for them. They want to push the ball downfield. So to be Alabama without that would say a lot about Texas. Now for Alabama, if they're able to kind of keep a lid on that vertical attack, Well, that's just step one of the process. That's just step one of their new philosophy in Tuscaloosa, which is play great defense. Second part of that equation is play just bone-crunching kind of running game football with Tommy Reese as your OC. It's Nick Saban-influenced Tommy Reese offensive approach right now, but you hear the sentiment I'm saying. They want to be able to take the air out of the football, shove it down your throat, four yards, five yards, six yards, and then by the fourth quarter, that five-yard gain turns into a 12-yard gain. And then they pop one for a touchdown, and that's kind of the way that they want to live. They want to be similar to how Michigan was last year, where they lean on you, lean on you, lean on you, and in the fourth quarter, to put it how J.J. McCarthy put it after Ohio State, the pipes burst. So can they do that? This will be a great test. But understand, if, if Texas can just throw the ball around the yard like they did last year in that first quarter with Queen Ewers, well, then Alabama has to answer scores. Well, then Alabama starts to have to get into more of a track meet mode. So then it becomes a matter of what happens with Jalen Milrow. We talked about with Nick Saban and what he said about, you know, middle Tennessee and it's not going to be decided in that game. Well, I mean, if we're all just looking at this game and looking at how it went with, uh, with how much they didn't rotate quarterbacks, Jalen Milrow is the guy for them. And so the challenge for Texas becomes what happens on first and second down. No disrespect to Jalen Milrow, but Texas wants to find out if he can throw the football consistently against them. The only way you get to find out about that 
is you have something solid to put forth and in, in first and second down and put them into third and seven. Can you get to third and seven? That's really the question I'm asking for Texas. Because if they can, and Jalen Milrow beats them with the arm, you say, all right, man, hey, that's checkmate. We did not, we did not think that was going to be the way that you could get, get that done. You know, to quote Shaquille O'Neal, I was not familiar with your game. I apologize. Like that, that would be the situation that Texas would find themselves in. But they want to find out. I'll say that much. They want to find out. Now, when it comes to the subplot within that, Jalen Milrow is playing quarterback for Alabama for a reason. And obviously, he's been consistent enough through camp, and he's done enough throwing the ball downfield and all that. I mean, he looked awesome against Middle Tennessee, hit three deep shots that were big time. But the subplot within that, like I talked about a little bit, his legs make him arguably the best athlete on the field and he's playing quarterback for you. So the challenge then becomes, when, it, when you do get him to third and seven, when it does become a matter of, okay, Jalen Miller, you're going to have to throw the football to beat us. Can you, can you make enough plays when it's a broken play? Right? Like, that's the question. Can you stop Jalen Milrow when you have everybody covered, got the perfect coverage set up, and he says, you know what? I'm a really good athlete. You've all seen that video of me hang cleaning like 335 as a quarterback, which is stupid, by the way. I think I'm going to go get the seven yards myself. Yeah, I think that's how I'm going to get down right now. Like, you can drop the perfect coverage, but if he breaks that game plan with his legs, then it's all for naught that you got him to third and seven. So that's a huge subplot within this game is Texas avoiding these. Well, we had him in third and seven, but, and then you tell a story about how Jalen Moto took off and got eight yards on third and seven. Now, if you can force him to throw the football, that's how you want to live if you're Texas. And you'll find out what happens there. So composure here in this spot, I think is going to be the difference maker for both teams. Alabama's no, no stranger to it. Texas, honestly, is no stranger to it either. But the expectations around Texas and the merit behind those expectations is just a little bit different. And so there's the spot in general with it being college game day and being, you know, the game of the week and anybody and everybody, yours truly included, being there. Who can handle the spot, but also who can handle these momentum swings? Because we've seen that now early in the season in a couple of these games. Florida State is a great example against LSU. LSU throws a couple haymakers early. I mean, first play of the game, they got down, I think, inside the 20. Florida State collects themselves. They're down at half. No problem. Reset. Go win the football game. There's going to be momentum swings each way. I, I fully expect this to be an absolute street fight who's able to handle when things don't go their way and bounce back and collect themselves and not get overwhelmed by the negative thing that just happened. Colorado, another great example. TCU and them going back and forth. Colorado just responded, 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 ended up winning the football game. So we'll get a chance to really test the, uh, the championship medal, if you will, of both these operations. Now, it is very difficult to imagine a world where... Alabama turns the football over multiple times and wins this football game. Like, that's also a part of the composure piece. Like, you don't want to give Quinn Ewers and company extra shots at the end zone. Just not a way to live. And now for Texas, same thing. This is what Alabama feeds on. They, they will prey on your mistakes. That is how they want to live in Tuscaloosa. So the margin for error for either side here is extremely, extremely low. So the composure as it pertains to you making mistakes is going to be a big part of this. I think it's close. 
I think we look up at the final score at the end of the fourth quarter and leave not feeling a certain way about either team like man I guess we were just wrong about Texas or man I guess we're just wrong about Alabama I think we leave this game kind of similar to last year in my opinion where we're like yeah both those teams are gonna I mean hey good luck whoever else has to play the rest of the way man I think we leave with that kind of feeling I think Texas and Quinn Ewers have a good day throwing the football I think Jalen Milrow actually has more in the tank than what we've seen so far a lot of talk about him turning the football over and about what he did against Texas A&M. And like, I understand all that. I think we still haven't seen what he truly has. And so for that reason, on top of Alabama being at home, on top of all that's been said about Nick Saban, I'm taking Alabama to win a close one, man. Close one. Probably comes down to the very last possession. We take Bama to win this football game. Final score 36-32 in Tuscaloosa. I think it's a game where you leave and you're like, man, neither team probably really deserved to lose that game. Neither team probably, you know, played poorly enough to to beat a loser in that football game. But I think a couple turnovers here and there might end up being the difference. I can't wait to be there, though, man. That's going to be college football at its absolute best. Future SEC matchup, too. That'll be absolutely electric. Make sure you're subscribed if you haven't already. Make sure you like the video if you haven't already. We appreciate y'all being locked in. Got one more matchup to talk through. But if you're new to this show, the way that we finish these shows is we go into the live chat and we take questions and takes from y'all. Nick Brick may have already put up a little uh, a cue for you there to go and ask your questions so we can get those answered accordingly. But go ahead and get your questions, your takes in, and we will chop it up a little bit. All right, so last game we got to talk through. Oregon going on the road to Lubbock, Texas, playing Texas Tech. Oregon is favored by six and a half points in this one. It is seven Eastern on Fox. Same time as Bama and Texas. It'll still be a game that I think deserves to be talked about and deserves to be watched. So if you got the split screen thing going, I would recommend you do that. This is a treacherous spot for Oregon. They've got their, their sights set on the mountaintop. Their sights set on being a college football playoff team, but to go on the road and play in a tough place like Lubbock, Texas against a team like Texas Tech who's coming off a loss, a heartbreaking loss rather too. This is uh this screams sketchy to me if you're a Duck fan. Now for Texas Tech, this is a great chance for them to get this thing back on track. So much said about them being a dark horse in the Big 12, I still wholeheartedly believe that they are. You want to, you know, kind of gain back some of the respect people may be lost for you, not us, but some people may be lost from that Wyoming loss. Go handle business against a team that is in the top 25 in the country that just scored over 80 points last week against Portland State. little subplot here too. Tyler Shuck, former Oregon quarterback. Now, it was a different staff. I understand that. But you don't think there's maybe just a little bit of a personal element to him in this game? Just based on that logo on the other sideline? I think there is. Question though, can Texas Tech rattle Bo Nix? Because if you can't, man, like... He's going to have a very big day at the office. This can't be a situation where Texas Tech just kind of sits back and says, okay, keep it all in front of you. Keep it all in front of you. No big plays. Because if you do that, they're going to run for a whole lot of yards. Bo Nix is going to slice and dice, and eventually some big plays will happen. Even if you kept it in front of you, there's going to be enough seams there where they can just puncture and get a touchdown and, and get a first down. Whatever kind of result you want to plug in there, that could be the situation you live in. So for Texas Tech... Got to kind of stick true to form. Tim DeRuiter now 
the defensive coordinator for Texas Tech, he's known for kind of being that guy that's going to dial it up. They're trying to be as confusing as possible on that side of the football. They're trying to confuse you. They're trying to bring pressure from different spots. That has to be the most aggressive kind of game plan for them against Oregon. Because like I mentioned, you don't want to sit back and let Bo Nix pick you apart. Now, Oregon secondary, to talk about their side of things, they have some questions as well. And last year, they were one of the worst in the country. I don't think that game against Portland State gives us a tremendous idea as to what they're going to be this year. Allowed 250 yards a game last year to the Ducks through the air. Not good. And what Zach Kitley is bringing to the table here as the offensive coordinator for Texas Tech is going to be perfectly diagrammed to take advantage of that. Zach Kitley, I believe, is just a head coach waiting to happen here in college football. I I think he's probably a head coach in the next couple of years. But in this game, his approach will be spread you out, take advantage of all 53.3 yards of the width of this football field, every blade of grass, you better defend it. Because if you give us a one-on-one matchup and we don't think your safety can get there, we are going to take shots. We are going to throw haymakers because guess what? We're at home. We're a home dog. Nobody thinks we're going to win this football game. Like That's fine with us. Nothing to lose. We're not going to leave anything in the chamber. We're emptying the clip, baby. That's the approach in Lubbock. And keep an eye on this, too. If Texas Tech, let's say they, they start the game with three and out. They turn get Oregon three and out. They're off the field, punt it away to Texas Tech. And let's say they connect on a, you know, a quick drive. Let's say it's four plays. That roof in Lubbock, the metaphorical roof, rather, will be blown off that building. That place will be going insane. You don't think about Lubbock, Texas as the most treacherous place to play, but I'm telling you, when that crowd gets going, this is not a situation you want to be in if you're Dan Lanning and company. So the thing with this, though, as well for Texas Tech, uh, it can't be a thing where you settle for three in the red zone. Like, you, you got to cash in. Last week, they were not great kicking the field, uh, or excuse me, they were not great in the field goal kicking game. They were two for five against Wyoming. And for Texas Tech, like, as potent as this offense is for Oregon, that's not a thing where you can kind of just buy your time and eventually maybe climb back into this game late and make up ground. Like, you got to keep pace with Oregon. Because Oregon, I firmly believe, will score points. Can Texas Tech match them from a gameplay standpoint? I think it's going to be a track meet. My big concern for Texas Tech in this game is their ability to fit the zone run game. They allowed 68 rush yards to Wyoming's quarterback. And a lot of those were the read option. Okay, uh, defensive end crashes. We're going we're gonna to pull it. We're going to get around the edge. And then as a whole, they allowed 171 rush yards total. So they weren't playing that super effectively against Wyoming. This is what Oregon's going to do a lot of with Bo Nix running the show for them. If you can't at least fix a, a portion of that, if you can't at least be serviceable in the run game, well, then everything opens up for Oregon. They can run the ball at you. They can throw the ball at you. They have everything open to them in this playbook. And then Texas Tech will have a very tough day at the office. Because then it's just a matter of, okay, can Texas Tech match every score? We don't want to match every score for Texas Tech. We need a few stops here if we want to stay in this football game. I don't think a track meet favors Texas Tech in this game. So, like I said, the start is going to be crucial. Get the crowd into it. Rattle Bo Nix. That's the path to getting this thing done. I think when I look at what Oregon has offensively, and the fact that this one, I think, has been circled for them for some time. I don't think they're overlooking this game. I think this is a case where Tyler Shuck plays really well. 
like I said, kind of personal to him, having been at Oregon previously and now coming to Texas Tech. Like, I think there's a personal element for him. But even so, I think Oregon finds a way to get it done in Lubbock. I think it is close. I actually think Texas Tech covers this one. The spread is 6.5. I think the final score is 37-31 Oregon. So Oregon wins. Texas Tech covers. But I'm telling you, that's one that's on the same time as Bama, Texas. Make sure you're watching that on the split screen because I think there's a lot of of things to be learned in this game without question. So can't wait to watch that one. Again, appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. If you could like the video, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you could subscribe to the channel, we'd also greatly appreciate it. Now we're about to get to some of y'all's questions here in just a quick second. But I want to let y'all know the hard count is brought to y'all by Roback. And Roback is a brand that I have stood by for a long time. And I'll say this, they, they get us as college football fans. Like from tailgate to game day, like everything that you need, they've got it. I mean, the polos, you guys all know that I love Roback. I wear them all the time for a reason. They have the best polos on the entire market. If you need a polo to last you the entirety of like a hot game day, you're at the grill, you're with your buddies, it's hot, it's September. Like, hey, we got a lot of ball to play now here. We got to make sure we're locked in from sunup to sundown. Moisture wicking technology, four-way stretch, makes it easy to move in while keeping you feeling fresh, right? Good ventilation. Roback also has everyday shorts. They are perfect for pairing. So get you some everyday shorts, get you the polo. You're set for game day, baby. They're so comfortable, have elastic waistband and great fabric that is made to stretch. So you're not going to be out there kind of feeling stiff at game day, just, just sweating through it. Good fabric, moisture wicking, you're in good shape. Now also, Roback has been proudly leading the new NIL charge. They've signed partnerships with college stars from Cade Klubnick, Kyle McCord, Nick Singleton, Jalen Milrow, big game for him this Saturday, Audric Estime. Uh, they've also teamed up with the legendary Coach O. All right, so use the code JD on roadback.com for a generous 20% off for all new customers through the end of this week. Okay, so at the end of this week, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but make sure you use code JD for 20% off that's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. 20% off all performance polos, shorts, and more with code JD. So we appreciate the good people at Roback making that happen. All right, now, again, thank you for everybody tuned in live. Thank you, everybody that's tuned in via podcast after we have gone live. You can get them on Apple or get them on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find this show, type in The Hard Count with J.D. Piquel, and we will be right there. But now the best thing that we do is hear from y'all. So I hope you've been getting to the live chat. I hope you've been getting to some of the questions that we're going to answer right now or some of the takes we're going to address. So the best way to do that is bringing on the pride of Owensboro, Kentucky, Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, man? How we doing? What's up, JD? Man, we got a lot of questions, so I'm going to get right to them. All right, um, let's do it, baby. I love it. We'll get to as many as we can here in this time. Uh, I'm going to start with Christian Marker because a lot of people have been coming on our YouTube channel and whatnot just trying to get your thoughts on Ole Miss beating Tulane. Say that again. Um, can you hear me? Mm-mm. Say that one more time. Uh, so anyway, uh, Christian Marker wants to get your thoughts on Ole Miss versus Tulane. From Ooh, the Ole Miss Tulane. Yeah, so we're actually we're gonna break that one down a little bit more in depth tomorrow. But that's one where Tulane now, if they were to beat Ole Miss, a lot of people would say, "Oh, it's an upset group of five, this, that, the other." Like Tulane is a top twenty-five football team. Tulane should they beat Ole Miss? Yeah, it would be surprising. 
but I don't know that upset is really the word that you would use. So Tulane, Ole Miss, we'll break it down a little bit more in depth tomorrow. Uh, I'm probably leaning towards Ole Miss to win that football game. But even so, man, that is a that is a good test early on for uh, mm-hmm. for Jackson Dart and company and Lane Kiffin getting that thing rolling. So I'm excited to watch that one. But uh, yeah, we'll break that one down tomorrow. Very, very sneaky. Sounds good. Yeah, looked good this weekend. Hopefully uh, for Ole Miss, for old Christian Marker, they can look good again. There we go. Um, next question, Heather Higginbottom. Will Klubnik get better than what we saw yesterday? I do believe he'll be better than we saw yesterday. I think the offense is taking some time to mesh. I think a lot of people in Clemson, South Carolina also were surprised by the offensive effort yesterday. And I don't mean effort in terms of like how hard they tried. I mean, scoring seven points, I think, is very, very different than what they've done in practice. All the reports we heard from fall camp were, hey, the defense is saying that the offense is much more complex than last year they're going at a better tempo and so we'll see what happens there as we get further along here again I would not sell the Clemson stock my concern isn't so much with Cade Klubnik as much as it is the guys around him do we have some receivers that can separate I love Antonio Williams can Adam Randall separate can Cole Turner separate Bo Collins like there's some guys here that I think need to maybe just kick it up a notch Emerald style so I think they'll be better but that's how we feel about Clemson Nick Okay, uh, next question. Trying to get some questions that involve teams we maybe haven't talked about yet. Uh, 33 all the way. How impressed were you this weekend with Jackson Arnold and the improvement of Oklahoma's defense? It's I- it's so tough because when you play Arkansas State, like, man, I, I would love to say that, you know, this Oklahoma defense is going to be worlds better and that the, the offense is continuing to click. And Jackson Arnold looked good. Don't get it twisted. But I don't think Arkansas State is a tremendous litmus test for us when it comes to what the Sooners are going to be in 2023. The bottom line, though, you scored over 70 points, beat a team you're supposed to beat, check that box, keep on rolling. But you have to really self-assess after those games, Nick, because you feel a certain way about, you know, scoring 70 points. Like, you should feel good about that. You should have some pride about that. But also, you got to understand, like, hey, Arkansas State is going to be very, very different than Texas. And Arkansas State is going to be very, very different than what we're going to see in the SEC next year. So check the box, correct the mistakes, grade it on a curve, and keep that thing rolling in Norman. Here's a little bit of a um, slight overreaction question, Logan. I, I like it. it, though. Do you think Drew Lar has the case for the, being the best quarterback in the Big Ten? Yeah, he does. I he does. So I mean, too. it's a one-game sample size. Is it an overreaction to say that? 100%. J.J. McCarthy, I think, still has a fair amount to say about who the best quarterback is in the Big Ten. But you look at just the tools, like Drew Aller's going to continue to trend upward, you would imagine. And with Keandre Lambert-Smith going vertical for him and the run game they have at his back, like the sky's the limit for Penn State this year. So we'll keep an eye on how he trends. But just from a physical tool standpoint, I think you put him somewhere in that top three. So, again, that's physical tools. That's not what he's going to be as a quarterback. There's a reason why he didn't start last year is because Sean Clifford was the better quarterback in that room. Now it's Drew Aller's turn. I can't wait for that game against Michigan. I can't wait for that game against uh, against Ohio State, rather, for Penn State. And we'll learn a lot about Drew Aller in those two games. But from a tool standpoint, I think it's absolutely fair to say he's somewhere in that top tier. Uh, You got time for one more? Let's do it, baby. Do you think, oh, this is from Ricky, by the way. Uh, do you think Brian Kelly's remarks hurt LSU more so than anything? I mean, from a player's standpoint, I would be mad that my coach just put it back on us and said that we suck. You know, I think for Brian Kelly, and for those of y'all that didn't hear his postgame press conference, there was a fair amount of him 
not, not backtracking because there was nothing that he said that was overly like, hey, we're going to win the national title. He said, we are not the football team I thought we were. He said, I guess we thought we, we were the Georgia Bulldogs, the two-time national champs. Like, we kind of got ahead of our skis. And I think that's an accurate assessment. I would also say, though, that Florida State's a really good football team. So I don't think there's a ton to just panic about if I'm in Baton Rouge. But listening to that whole press conference, too, I think Brian Kelly took a lot of the blame up front and said, hey, it's on me to get us prepared. It's on us as a staff to get prepared and not have these things happen. We were not ready to play. So if I'm an LSU player, I don't think this is something that's super unnerving. I think this is probably a fair amount of what you're being told behind closed doors. And if you look at the tape, you're an LSU player and you're just going to take responsibility for what happened. Like, yeah, you watch the tape. You should play better. You should feel a certain way about your effort you put forth in that game. So I think what Brian Kelly said has a lot of merit. Does the truth hurt? Yeah, but I don't think it's something that he was just totally excusing himself from the way that things went on Sunday night. So not fun to hear, never fun to lose, but you know what fixes losing, Nick, is winning. And I think LSU is going to win a lot of games this year. Sounds good, man. Well, that's all we got. Love Um, it. Well, brother, I appreciate you, man. What do you say? Same time tomorrow? Hey, same time tomorrow. Let's do it. Appreciate you, big Nick. Nick, heavy lifter break doing everything that you see here like we said man same time tomorrow we will have our top 10 rankings for the entirety of college football the nothing but ball poll drops tomorrow and i can't wait to hear from y'all because we, we've had a ton of y'all in the live chat had, had a ton of y'all find this show with college football season kicking up back uh right now and uh yeah man we just we love y'all we appreciate y'all man this is a lot of fun to get to do this and to interact with y'all and to talk about the sport that you love and that we love. And so we're going to keep on doing this thing, man. Like I said, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.